Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this on Monday, July 25th, 2022. Now, Brian has just returned from working at San Diego Comic-Con, and I want to stress the word working, because attending Comic-Con and working this event are two very different things. When you attend, or as I've done in the past, when you cover this pop culture event, you get to attend panels, you get to wander the main exhibit hall, whereas when you work... San Diego Comic-Con, you're pretty much stuck to one booth for the full four and a half days of this event, and you can occasionally sneak away for an hour or two to experience one or two things. But working your table, interacting with event attendees, that's your top priority, So, which in and of itself is exhausting. And then when you factor in load in and load out, it's not like you can go to the conventions and say, I'll be back tomorrow to pack up the booth. I mean, as of what, 5 p.m. on Sunday, the San Diego Comic-Con train is pulling out of the station oh, yeah. and, and you need to be on it. And uh, Brian checked in along the way. You you were at an industrial an industry after party just before midnight East Coast time last night. Oh, were you awake? I'm sorry if I, I Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I was literally just finishing up a project that Len and I are working on that I can't talk about yet. But okay. yeah, I was uh, just finishing something up to, and putting it in the mail. And then when I got up this morning, I saw that at 5.30 uh, oh, East yeah. Coast time, you made it home. So I'm betting the traffic on the 5 was better than it was at, say, 5 yesterday afternoon. Well, no. What happened is um, because I live in Pasadena, mm-hmm. there's two ways to get here. You can go the 5 to the 405, and, then, and, and that's fine. Or you can go the 15, which is usually goes all the way to Vegas. And you can miss all the five traffic. I got in my car, I set mm-hmm. my GPS, mm-hmm. and there was a 31-minute delay. On the five? On at, the five. At, at like 2 o'clock in the morning? Because there's there's always an accident and Man. all the construction in the, the Carlsbad area. So I went around it and I got home in about 2 hours and 15 minutes, which is really pretty good that's impressive that's yeah. impressive and okay it was oh, first of all i want to apologize for mm. sounding like brenda baccaro right now <laughs> because i've you know like i just got up and it was five days of pure heaven but so i got home quick but the party was um mm-hmm. bob chapman of graffiti uh t-shirts who who do a lot of great uh t-shirts um for DC and Marvel and mm-hmm. and things like that, mm-hmm. he is retiring, and no. he, yeah, and he's been ever since I've known him is when I I met him through Bill and and he had a he was the the main guy who got everybody together, um, Bill's booth in a certain position, and then Dave Stevens was next to him, and and then we had. Um, John Cucaloras, who sold stuff from, uh, like, memorabilia. We had a guy, Altar, for, I think, his, his he sold books and stuff. And this was just a an area for about 20 years. It was just us and then mm-hmm. graffiti also. Mm-hmm. And he would always throw an after party. Mm-hmm. He called it the dead dog party. And <laughs> you could actually go online and see some pictures and and because I knew Bill, I was always one of the non-industrial people who, not industrial, industry people. Industry people. Yeah. Who went to this event. Mm-hmm. And one time, about three years ago, it was at a Japanese restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I was there with Bill and... I saw somebody trying to eat edamame. Do you know what edamame is? Oh, yes. Oh. Okay. That moment when you see some poor slob who's been tricked into, oh, it's green. It's Don't worry. You'll be fine. Well, it's it's in a pod. So yep. he mm-hmm. was chewing on the pod. Yep. And mm-hmm. I'm going, excuse me, this is mm-hmm. how you eat it. And I showed him that you have to squeeze it to get He's the out. soybeans out. Soybeans out. Mm-hmm. And it was Mark Wheatley who... Um, oh. Did, yeah. And he... He did with Mark Hempel, he did one of my favorite comic books ever, um, mm-hmm. Mars. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Mark Hempel did a uh, an arc mm-hmm. in um, 
Sandman called the Kindly Ones. Mm-hmm. So I would talk. To, so I started talking to Mr. Wheatley, and he's from mm-hmm. Baltimore, and and we just started talking things other than comic books, mm-hmm. and had a really good conversation. Well, yesterday. Mm-hmm. He comes up and he says, um, oh, I wanted to talk to you at the Eisner Awards, but you came, guys came in late. Well, mm-hmm. what happened was I thought it was at the Hyatt. Mm-hmm. So Bill and I walked to the Hyatt. Mm-hmm. I got there and said, oh, no, <laughs> I made a mistake. And we had to go back to the Hilton. So we were 15 minutes late. Mm-hmm. But Bill was cool about it. He's only mentioned it like four or five times. <laughs> And yep. we we were in the best seat in the house. We were in the table table number three, which was right in the middle, in the mm-hmm. front. Mm-hmm. So I got to see Neil Gaiman and Frank uh, Miller and Tom Lennon and all these like heroes of mine. And I had to walk up there while the because we got there right when the awards started. So I had to walk up in front of everybody and sit down and then sneak away to get food and then come back. So it was rather. So anyways, Mark said, I wanted to talk to you, but, and I want to introduce you to Mark Hempel. Now, I'm a huge fan of Hempel because I love the the way he draws and and stuff like that. And I I said, I go, I love your artwork because it's very cabinet of Dr. Caladari. He goes, oh, it's funny you should mention that. I did a comic book for, or a comic story for SpongeBob. And mm-hmm. it was a parody of Dr. Caligari. And I'm going, oh, wow. See, I knew what your style was. Wow. So I okay. talked to him all night last night before mm-hmm. I left to go home. But mm-hmm. it's just you create these these relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And Bill, you know, sitting at the booth is not a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. Usually I get up and I, I roam around. But it was we, – we go in there Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Because we've learned that a Wednesday setup is too much on us, because you have to set up and then five o'clock it opens, yep. and you don't get you don't get down there till twelve or what or whatever. So this way we go there Tuesday, we set up. I mean, right now we're two old guys, so we just mm-hmm. have to get ready. And Wednesday he does pretty well, but the whole show he did extremely well. Oh, he sold a lot of big paintings. He mm-hmm. sold. He has these playing cards that he sold. Um, he doesn't. He didn't have any new books this year, but next year he's going to have a thick three book volume of all his comic book stuff. Oh, yeah! It should be. It should be amazing. He he did the covers for them. He had the covers up on the wall, but. It was really a lot of fun, and you get to meet extremely terrific people. And Bill is the kind of person that, you know, people show them his artwork, mm-hmm. their artwork. And Bill would say, there's one guy came up, mm-hmm. and he said, I want to make work for Henson and do mm-hmm. Muppets. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill goes, you should do something on your own. You should do, uh, just make up something. And so the guy left, and mm-hmm. he came back the next year, and he showed Bill what he was working on. His name is mm-hmm. Tony D. Terrellizzi, and he and Holly Black, and they did Spiderwick Chronicles. Oh! So he went off and did his own thing, and the own thing with Spider. Also, a guy who did um, Dinotopia. And another guy, his name is Travis, and he does Dungeons and Dragons books, like little comic books. And these people come back every year and they go, Bill, thank mm-hmm. you very much for just leading me on another path. And Bill does. He 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 really encourages everybody. And people that we've known for 20 years will come up to him and say, talking to you and, and me too, because you know they when they're waiting for Bill... They always got to get through me first type of thing. And you'd be surprised how many people want to talk about their private lives, what's going on in their lives, what um, they're going through. And you sit there and you listen. You think that you're, you know, you're almost a a therapist or something. Mm -hmm. But then they come back and they go, because of you and Bill, I've decided to go and become myself. 
and it it really it, it gets you. I mean, there's there was many times that I teared up a little bit, and especially during the Rocketeer programs. We saw the documentary about Dave Stevens and Rocketeer, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And it was amazing because Dave was a... Did you ever get to meet Dave? Did you ever get to talk to him at all? It was not a protracted conversation, but I do remember it. And for me, what was always fascinating about Dave is he would take chunks of things that you knew, whether Hollywood history or from the pulps or that sort of thing, and made this entirely new thing that that celebrated the pulps and celebrated Hollywood history, but yet was its very, very own thing. And beautifully staged, dramatically drawn. It was the gold standard right out of the gate. And he brought back Betty Page. He did. And he, he did. And he actually met her, and he arranged it so people who use her image mm-hmm. would pay her a fee. Oh, and so near the end of her life, she she was living a little bit better than she had before because of Dave and Olivia. Olivia was a, a big part of that too. I didn't know that. Wow, that's a great story. I forget what it's called. It's called Dave Stevens: A Life in Artistry. I think that's the name of it, and it's coming out in November. And it's something you really should see, just to see. I mean, the the kid started out as a fanboy going to Comic Con. And he really didn't have a lot of art education, and he was one of the best artists out there. And and even it it blew my mind because he would just do a little sketch. He could charge three times more than what Bill charges because he was just, and he was he was a very charming. And the the documentary gets into to that. So that's what Comic Con was mostly of me. You know, hanging out with Bill and going to parties. <laughs> I was oh, a party dude. animal. Deservedly so. Now, did you get out on on the main floor? Oh at yeah, all? several okay. times. And and okay. I and I met people and I I talked to people. I went to small press, and not as many at Comic Con, but at WonderCon it was a lot. A thing that people are doing right now, artists are doing right now, are tarot cards. I've been hearing about this. Yeah, yeah. it's really mm-hmm. neat. And mm-hmm. the artwork is amazing. Now, I used to be in tarot before I got married. And I've always loved the, the whole aspect of it, how people interpret each card. Mm-hmm. So at WonderCon, I bought three decks. Mm-hmm. Nobody was having I didn't see anybody this year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they keep on selling it sold out, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what sold out means because it was not as crowded as it usually was. Mm-hmm. And also, they kind of went, do you remember when you would go and they'd have a plastic card for a lanyard card and you'd have to check in? To oh, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now they're paper with just mm-hmm. a little RD or, you know, that little... Oh, the, the QR? Uh, yeah, the key bar. Mm-hmm. And, and also, in the aisles, they used to have this gray carpet. Mm-hmm. Well, it was just cement. So... Uh-huh. nobody noticed these things except Mm -hmm. I was just like sitting there staring at these things and Mm -hmm. going Bill do you realize there's no carpet going through this and I I just think that they went because they must have lost a lot of money not having it for two years yeah I mean you know that's the thing when you're you're setting up a giant event like this the exhibit space at San Diego Convention Center that's 750,000 square feet and just sort of like the notion of okay if you're going to carpet the aisles in between the booths and that sort of thing and my friend Angela actually works event planning and I, I have learned so much from Angela about, well, that's not just the carpet. That's the padding under the carpet. In fact, mm-hmm. one of Angela's least favorite smells on the planet is, you know, when they unroll the carpet oh, yeah. to put it in the hall, it's like, oh, that stuff's been in storage and it smells terrible. Well, no, no, I don't think they really needed it, though. I mean, it's just, but they cut back on a lot of things. There wasn't a lot of giveaways. As you will talk on Marvel mm-hmm. Us, and I can't wait to hear what mm-hmm. you and, and Aaron say about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody expected what they announced. No, that that's it. They thought fact, it wait. was going to be She-Hulk, and that's it. And then all of a sudden, it explodes to they give us 
all the way to phase six. So I can't wait to hear what you guys say about that. Yeah, Kevin Feige remains a showman. Speaking of the exhibit hall, did you make it over at all to the FX collectibles booth to get to see the animatronic Rogu or? Yes, I did. I did. And it's amazing. You you believe that thing is real. And mm-hmm. it's got, you know, when it smiles and stuff mm-hmm. like that, the cheeks move. And mm-hmm. are they going to be using that in the, the series or? My understanding is no. Now, mind you, this is Garner Holt. Garner's been doing animatronics for the Disney parks for about 10 or 15 years at this point. And so the Grogu that they built that was on display in the FX booth has 15 different individual functions, and they're planning on building a number of these, but a a limited number. And if you want one, you're going to have to pony up anywhere from $75,000 to $100,000 a piece. And this is different than the one that's actually used in the show. In fact, just today, Rosario Dawson, there's, there's an interview in Entertainment Weekly They're out doing some early press for Ahsoka. She was talking about being, you know, obviously, again, they did that episode of the the Book of Boba Fett where it was Ahsoka and the Mandalorian, you know, with Grogu. And she was talking about how cool it was when she was on set for that. And the, the guys who were puppeteering Grogu were the exact same guys she had worked with years earlier on Men in Black 2. They're the same uh, guys who, who puppeteered the wormy the guys. The worm guys. The, the, the worm guys. Yeah, so, cool. So it's like, you know, well, again, but do you know this from, from working with Bill, yeah. that, that it's a surprisingly small world of creatives out there who, who do all of these things. So oh, yeah. She, Bill, Bill worked with Tony Gardner, who I mm-hmm. think he was part of the Men in Black, and he worked with them on Return of the Living Dead. And mm-hmm. and Bill actually, you know, Tony built it, but Bill actually did the the half corpse. He oh. he was under the table doing mm-hmm. doing that thing. You know when mm-hmm. it it went more, it was in pain. So uh, yeah, so yeah, I've met a lot of these people. I I worked with Robert Short. I think we think we talked about this. I mm-hmm. worked with Robert Short on um, on t- the tail end mm-hmm. of Splash. So um, oh, that's right. You you mentioned that. I'm I, on the other hand, I've had the chance to interview Greg Nicotero oh. of The Walking Dead a couple of times, and he is the sweetest, nicest, yeah, funniest guy. Incredible. But again, he specializes in zombies. Yeah, just nightmare fuel left and right. But anyway, uh, folks, we have lots of Star Wars-related news to get to. And as always, the news portion of Looking at Lucasfilm is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network for a worry-free travel experience. Please book online at storybookdestinations.com. And on Wednesday of this week, over on Disney+, Plus. Light and Magic, the history of industrial light and magic, gets underway. It, that's a, a six-episode series of documentaries. The one that actually got underway two weeks ago, on July 12th, Icons on Earth, Star Wars. Are you familiar with the, with this one, Brian? It, no, it's from I the, haven't heard about this one. I was looking forward to the ILM one, but this kind of snuck up on me. Yeah, this is by the folks at the Nacelle Company. They do the the wonderful The Toys That Made Us. And likewise, last year, they were the the team behind the the attraction show over at Disney+. And same thing. This is a six-episode documentary series. And episode three just dropped yesterday, the 26th. There's three more episodes to come. They they run at 10 p.m. East Coast time on Vice TV. But definitely worth checking out. Also, just today, news broke that Icons on Earth has been renewed for a second season. Only in season two, they're going to explore the development and production of The Simpsons. So as a a longtime Matt Groening fan, I mean, you discovered Matt back when what life, uh, life, life is held wasn't it that he wasn't willing tracy Ullman yeah, was the looking tracy Ullman show um mm-hmm. went to him and yep. said we want to use life in hell mm-hmm. as these little vignettes and yep. when we our newspaper was the la we, um weekly and mm-hmm. it was one of those uh giveaway papers mm-hmm. but it, it was all an alternative paper 
And that's what the strip was, alternative. And he was this starving artist in Los Angeles, and he didn't mm-hmm. want to lose the rights to it. So he said, yeah. I'll come up with something. I'll come <laughs> up with uh, something you can do. Mm-hmm. And he drew these like weird people that were based on his own family, and yeah. even gave them their names. His, mm-hmm. his dad's name is actually Homer. Mm-hmm. And, and when um, Dan Castellana was doing the voice of Homer... Yep. If you see the original ones that were on the mm-hmm. Omen show, he's yep. doing Walter Matthau. Oh, that's right. And he's like talking like this, and he's like going, yeah. you know, I can't believe Bart, you know, and and it sounds just like Walter Matthau. And they and they use the actors in the they the did. Tracy Omen show they to did. do this. Yeah, and I mean, it was such a hit. And mm-hmm. um, Fox was this was when Fox just started mm-hmm. um, the Fox Network. And they were looking for, you know, shows, and nobody had done a animated oh, show no. since I think the Flintstones. I can't yeah. remember. I mean, there were syndicated ones like the that Roman one, and and mm. Wait Till Your Father Gets Home, and mm-hmm. and but there was nothing in prime time on a network. Remember how the Mickey Mouse Club had like six different openings of Donald trying to hit the gong and yeah. things going wrong. Yeah, that's totally what the couch gag. On the show is it's a tribute to or a riff on Donald trying to hit the gong in the Mickey Mouse show. And well, it just, you, you can't forget the chalkboard, and, this is true. and you can't forget what Lisa plays. Yep. Those are all. Every episode mm-hmm. has a different motif mm-hmm. to to those things, and mm-hmm. it, it was just brilliant. Well, the first show, of course, was um, the Christmas show, Christmas there special. Okay. It did so well mm-hmm. that. Wasn't the first company that did it Class Classby Classky Chupo? Yes. Yeah. Didn't mm-hmm. they? The the ones who do the Rugrats, they were the first company that did it before. What's mm-hmm. the name? Roman. Yeah, Film Roman. That, yeah, Film uh, Roman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and and you can see the first ones are a little bit out there. Mm-hmm. I mean. The ones in Tracy Ullman show was great because when they moved their heads, mm-hmm. it was almost like a Picasso painting. Oh yeah, and it was done very differently than anything else. But then it got more. There. Well, I, again, if you watch the credits of the early shows, I mean, it's Brad Bird, it's Rich Moore, it's all of these guys yeah. that you know we know and love today who have produced some of the the best animated, some of the best live action films out there. But it's also interesting to watch. The Simpsons kind of find its way. I mean, for uh-huh. the first three seasons or thereabouts, the star of the show really is Bart. It's only in like season four where they suddenly realize Homer's actually the more interesting character. We can do more with Homer. I forget who it was. I was interviewing a, a writer for the show once who basically told me, once we realized that Homer was basically a dog in a human suit, the show uh. kind of wrote itself. <laughs> but yes, again, we're, we're, we're getting away from, I from know, I just, Star Wars there. One yeah. more little trivia. When they okay. were first doing that, they would send the animation to mm-hmm. Korea. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. very similar to what happened in the original Star Trek pilot mm-hmm. where the green girl kept on coming back to flesh color mm-hmm. and they didn't know what was happening. And the timer was just saw a green person said, people aren't green and yep. would co- Well, they they would get the animation back and mm-hmm. the characters wouldn't be yellow. Yep. They would be flesh color because, of course, they go, people aren't yellow. So... Yeah. Just a small little trivia thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, as long as we're we're talking about things related to international stuff, news coming out of Disneyland Paris. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. They're celebrating their thirtieth anniversary of the opening of the of the resort from April of nineteen ninety two. And and this past weekend they were celebrating the official opening of the the French version of Avengers Campus, and uh, which of, of course is in uh, Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. Now, this project was first announced back in February of 2018 when a two billion dollar expansion of the Disneyland Paris Resort was announced. And at that time, it was revealed that they'd be getting an Avengers Campus, a Frozen themed land, which would be at the shore of this giant lagoon, with, which would then become the place where nightly a, a new nighttime extravagant would so would be presented and then finally they were supposed to get a star wars land of their own and uh, as i mentioned avengers camp is just officially open to the public this past weekend 
Construction of Frozen Land is well underway. They're uh, digging the lagoon. But did you hear about what's going on with these Star Wars lands? Yeah, one one thing I heard was they they didn't say Star Wars lands. They said there will be no Galaxy's Edge. There we go. Now, I got that to, to mean that there there will probably be a Star Wars land at some times, but it won't be the ones in the United States. It will be maybe different, maybe Tantooine, maybe Coruscant, something like that. Disneyland Paris, the resort, has struggled. It doesn't quite have the strong revenue that the satellite parks do. And each of the Galaxy's Edges cost over $600 million a piece to build. And remember, also wow. in Florida, you have to throw another 400 plus on the pile for the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel. So when they were staring down the barrel of, yeah, we'd love to have a Star Wars land, but we're thinking you got to walk before you can run. And we'll just pick one piece of Galaxy's Edge. And so they were thinking, well, you know, the Millennium Falcon, I mean, everybody knows what the Millennium Falcon is if you're a Star Wars fan. And so it's like to have an attraction with the Millennium Falcons parked outside and then guests get to go in the Millennium Falcon and pilot the ship. It's like, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's do that. And then they were thinking a tiny bit of retail and then do the cantina. And, you know, so we'll have a thumbnail. We'll have, you know, kind of a highlight reel of what they've done for Galaxy's Edge. And if it's if it's popular with guests, we can expand from that point. Do they have a Star Tours in Europe? They do. Deep in Tomorrowland. Uh, okay. Oh, excuse me, Discoveryland. My mistake. Discoveryland. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Galaxy's Edge opens at Disneyland Park. Uh, May of 2019, the Disney's Hollywood Studio version opens in August. And almost immediately, people are kind of expressing their, their not excitement for Millennium Falcon, largely because it's like, this isn't the setup I know from the movie. I, this isn't, what am I doing? What is my job? Well, you're the gunner, you're the engineer, yeah. you're the pilot. And it just, uh, and that coupled with the fact that it's, it's tied to characters people really don't know. It's like, who yeah. is Hondo? You know, that sort of thing. And so this really did factor into the decision of, well, maybe we're not doing Star Wars Land, because I don't think, given how people have reacted to Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, we really want to do that here in Paris. So that's kind of where things are. So right it's now. it's it's Star Wars Land. They don't want to put a Star Wars Land in it, or they don't want to put a um, what they did out here because it, the the whole thing about the Smuggler's Run. Mm-hmm. I mean, people who love Star Wars, who are Star Wars geeks. They, they love that they're in the cockpit. They love that mm-hmm. they see what's going on. Yeah, there's a lot of things to do. But to them, it is the experience. Even though it's a different story, it's still you're in the... People who like thrill rides, who like mm-hmm. theme park rides, they weren't crazy about it because they said, well, it's just like Star Tours and it's, mm-hmm. a, you know, the, the store, there's too much to do. And I mm-hmm. can see that. But if they would think of a, another way to put Star Wars in the land instead of making a Galaxy's Edge, couldn't they do do that? I mean, wouldn't that be a... Then it would be a destination. Obviously, we've just seen already in California, we have Boba Fett right. and Fennec Shand appearing as characters in the Disneyland version of Galaxy's Edge. And supposedly sometime this fall, we'll be seeing... The Mandalorian and Mandalorian with, you know, uh, yeah. And and in fact, given what was on display in that FX collectible booth, and given that... And Garner, hold, I mean, Garner's doing hero figures for the park. I mean, when you see Jack Skellington in Haunted Mansion Holiday and Oogie Boogie... That's oh, Garner that's Holt. The, oh, that's right. Okay. And and likewise, Murphy the Dragon in Fantasmic, that wonderful full-sized fire-breathing dragon. That's Garner Holt. So, you know, okay. this is an outfit that Disney trusts. And you got to wonder, of the people who'll be paying seventy-five dollars to $100,000 for a Grogu, 
whether or not the Walt Disney Company will be stepping or go, going, yeah, can we have a couple of those? Did they do Jack Sparrow too? That I cannot Because I remember you. when um, Indiana Jones, the, mm-hmm. the ride came out, Disney was saying how each Indiana Jones figure costs a million dollars a piece. Mm-hmm. And, but they said they went on an outside um, person or an outside company to do it because they didn't have the technology to make that articulate. And, and when you go see the Jack Sparrow stuff, mm-hmm. as I remember it, it's very articulate and more so than the other pirates. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder if that was done by them too. Because I know they do amazingly articulate. Didn't they do the Beast and Beauty in the the Paris Beauty and the Beast ride? Imagineering made a very big deal of showcasing that figure. And it was one of these things where it's like, did you guys do that figure? Because people hear the name Walt Disney Company, the figure, giant company. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, but inside of that giant company are 35 little companies. (laughs) And in the case of Haunted Mansion Holiday... That wasn't necessarily developed by the Imagineers. That holiday overlay was done by the Disneyland Entertainment Department. Okay. When you look at a show like Fantasmic, that's Disneyland Entertainment. So that's money coming out of a different budget. So the notion of, well, we need a new animatronic for this show, and it's like, they would have turned to Imagineering, well, how much will it cost for you to do this? It's like, ooh. It's like, how much will it cost if we ask Garner Holt? Oh, oh well, okay. something like that. So, so so a lot of the holiday layover or holiday overlays are done by entertainment. They're not done by ILA or they're not yeah. done by Enter. Yeah. You know, and again, it's, it's one of those things where the, the, the folks at the park don't necessarily want to talk about that because, again, you know, the whole notion of it's Disney magic, not it's okay. contracted out to a third-party magic. <laughs> they don't like that part. And then, you know, the, the notion is, okay, so maybe what we'll see in Paris when they finally do get around to doing a Star Wars land will will be Boba Fett or it'll be the Mandalorian or Ahsoka or could even be characters that we've met through the High Republic books and comic books. and That would be cool. That would be cool. And, and speaking of which, folks, we, we will talk further about that when we get to the second half of today's show. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Getting back to Comic-Con now, and you said... Wouldn't hmm? it be... I mean, there's a lot of people who still say that the the original trilogy is Mm -hmm. the best. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of old guys like me that that's where we we began. And we we would love to see Princess Leia. We would love to see Luke. We'd love to see Han. We'd love to see Darth Mm -hmm. Vader. Wouldn't that be a no-brainer is someplace like, you know, in Asia or... Europe or someplace else to make a basically original Star Wars. The original trilogy did not run 
in Chinese theaters, or at least uh, not, okay. didn't get the penetration that you think it might have gotten. I mean, it was bootlegged, and certainly when the VHS hit the market and the Blu-rays and that sort of thing, lots of people got to see these. But teenagers in China did not have the same experience okay. that you and I did, Brian. And I've actually seen this footage of it's of Shanghai Disneyland's Tomorrowland. And it is Darth Vader. I, I, somebody, you know, they found a six-foot-tall person, put him in the full costume. They've got him with a security detail marching through Tomorrowland. And you would think, here's Star Wars' iconic villain. And what's happening is the people in Tomorrowland, you know, they're not swarming him. They're not taking pictures. You're watching all these people politely step out of the way. <laughs> And then look back at like who's the dude with the mask and the black cape? Oh, like, you know, okay. I just they don't know him. They don't know the character. At least they're not reacting with any real enthusiasm. Whereas at Disney's Hollywood Studios, if you just send out a security patrol with the first order, they can't go two feet without people. Can I get a picture? Can I stop? Can we get a video? Let alone if you put Darth Vader out there, it would be like Elvis. So then in America would be where you would put an old school. Doesn't Disneyland have a, a vacant parking lot uh, a few feet away from the big Disneyland, you know, the, the the strawberry field that they bought? Don't they have something that maybe they could just build us Star Wars? There was a time in the, the I want to say within the past decade, when Disney was exploring the idea of the strawberry fields in Anaheim being a completely Marvel-themed theme park. Oh, cool. I've actually been shown the art for this, and it's pretty amazing. But it was just sort of a blue sky to, you know, but but that's the thing. that In Anaheim, there is only so much real estate, and Disney owns a surprising chunk of it. There's a lot of stuff just around the areas of the park that is Disney-owned that they don't talk about. But it's all the notion of... You have to be ready because once you build something, it's there for 20, 30, 40 years and you got to make the right call. And you, you also have to be willing to spend the money to tear down the buildings that are located there and really commit. I mean, it just recently somebody explained to me, it's like Disneyland is a Swiss watch. And every time you put something in, you have to be ready to take something out. Okay. So that's one of the reasons why we haven't necessarily seen, especially on the heels of Galaxy's Edge, which really wasn't the hit the company was hoping for. You don't spend $600 million and then hope you like, people are like, oh, that's nice. It's like, I didn't want nice. I wanted people to, yeah. to scream and yell and buy lots and lots of $200 lightsabers. But don't but you think it's a, a no-brainer to do a whole... Marvel land or do a whole um, Star Wars land. I mean, especially Marvel, there's so many different things you can do because, what, there's 22 movies, 25 movies, there's the TV yeah. shows. There's, I bet there's so many brilliant new rides they could come up with. Well, now remember, you've already invested, you've put your, your original Avengers Campus, which opened last summer after the delay for COVID. Okay, there's a reason why it's called a campus. It looks like a library. I mean, come on. The building is not the most original-looking building. To, to You look at it and you're going, okay, am I going to, you know, can I go in and read a book or something? If you talk with the Imagineers, this is where Tony Stark's dad was building his flying cars or was trying okay. to, and then the campus got abandoned, and then we got the web shooters moving in there. I mean, the, okay. and, and also right. remember that this was phase one, and there was supposed to be the giant, I mean, the whole building that the Quinjet is sitting on top of, that's literally the entrance to the giant Battle of Wakanda e-ticket, which now probably isn't going to happen, largely because we lost Chadwick Boseman, though... Who knows what happens if Black Panther Battle of Wakanda turns into a monster hit. Well, and, and also, isn't Phase 4, a lot of it, supposed to be in space? I mean, they could do a whole space yeah. thing, too. But Kevin, just at this Marvel panel on Saturday, was talking about, look, there are going to be heroes on the ground, ground-level heroes. That's okay. Spider-Man, that's Daredevil, and yes... You know, we have all of our space-based heroes and now all of our magic 
based heroes and we are building towards something huge that doesn't pay off to 2025 with the Kang Chronicles and then the Secret War. And I guess phase four ends with Wakanda Forever in November. Oh, phase four ends there? Okay, I'm not going to, because if we get into the yep. weeds of Marvel, then you and Aaron will have nothing to talk about. And, 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 we'll rec- yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we're recording that tomorrow. Though It's interesting, though, you, you started off talking about Luke and Leia and Han, because in just a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to get, uh, in fact, August 16th, from Random House, we're going to get our Princess and the Scoundrel book, which is about the marriage of Princess Leia and Han Solo. I, I saw the booth for that, and I was wondering, why is Random House doing it? Doesn't Disney have a, a literary print? I mean, don't they have Hyperion? And When somebody offers you a, a large pile of money... Okay, so Random House wanted... Okay, I understand. But at the same time, the beauty part, at least as far as Disney is concerned, is that Random House is going to pay to publish this book, and Disney will get its chunk okay. of the sales. And But this is also the book where it's, of course, after the events that we saw in Return of the Jedi, and after Han and Leia tie the knot, what did they get on to go on their honeymoon? But they, they get on board the Halcyon. A good chunk of the story is set on... Disney's brand new five to six thousand dollars a night on the ground cruise ship. Is it going to be a murder on the Halcyon Express or something? I wonder that myself. That would be a good idea. Start making novels based on you know do all Agatha Christie novels on the Halcyon. You know just <laughs> just you know you can you can find a, a character that looks like a space Poirot and something like that. Okay, I was I I was going good. <laughs> What's her name? Uh, Jessica Fletcher, you know, uh, Jessica oh, right. the Hutt. Just, oh, that would be so great. She's a maid in the, the kitchen, and there she solves the murders that there happen on the house end. I think, I think you've come up with a, a great Disney Plus. And again, Angela Lansbury still with us. So she oh, yeah, she the would character. be great. Yeah. Now, again, the Lucasfilm publishing panel at Comic-Con obviously talked up Princess and the Scoundrel arriving uh, August 16th, but they also... They're doing a Life Day advent calendar and pop-up book? No, I did not see this. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. I've seen the the main illustration from it, and it's it's the classic advent calendar setup, only it's all of the Wookiees in their red robes, and you can, again, the the 24-plus little doors that you could open. And I, I guess if it's a normal advent calendar, I know that's chocolate, but it's like, what? Is behind the... Well, you know why they had red robes, right? You know why they did the red robes? I am afraid to ask. Because they didn't have the budget to do the full Wookiee um, costumes. They just had the budget to do the heads, which were designed by Stan Winston. And and that's why they put them in the red robes, because they didn't have the budget for it. I didn't know that story. Well, then I'm kind of hoping that we get to see a couple of these heads in the next book that I'm really looking forward to. It's, it's called Star Wars 100 Objects. It's illuminating items from a galaxy far, far away. It's, it's Christine Baver, and this is for, for DK, and will be coming out in January of next year. But they picked of the limited series and the films and the theme park stuff, a hundred different items, you know, the, the unusual items that have been called from the Lucasfilm archive and you know, the production of the films and all that, with the notion of here's the deep background on that. And and that, to me, that sounds like a fun book. Oh, yeah, and DK, the DK who does all those um, books, don't they publish Dan's books too? I believe so. I, yeah, I know so Dan's they do book. all these really yeah. neat books about objects and things of that aren't so mm-hmm. much part of lore but are mm-hmm. part of the minutiae. Mm-hmm. of the Star Wars, which it, when you really get into Star Wars, I mean, there's more people into the minutiae than I am, but mm-hmm. there is stuff that's such a deep dive that you just look at somebody and they say, would you know that the, well, the, mm-hmm. the whole thing about the ice cream maker, mm-hmm. that was a, a shot of a guy running <laughs> through mm-hmm. the hallway with something that looked like an ice cream maker. And now 
it's a big thing now. Oh, it's yeah. like, yeah. I don't they sell them at the, at the stores now or something? Well, well, not only that. I I want to say the Kyber Crystal. Oh yeah, the, the five thousand dollar beverage on the Disney Wish that they actually bring the beverages to your table <laughs> in this amazing custom built ice cream maker. And I I don't know if when you were at Star Wars Celebration, you got to see the the equivalent of, of that event's Running of the Bulls, where you had all the people parading through the Anaheim Convention Center carrying their own oh, individual I ice cream. I didn't see that. That would have been great. Did well, they announce it, said, it, or was it a pop-up? I've only seen the video where literally it's, you know, those giant escalators within the Anaheim, yeah, Anaheim yeah. Convention Center? It's filled going up and down oh, with people proudly carrying hilarious. their ice cream. But yeah, it's very strange. But look, you we were just talking about you know the minutia of Star Wars, and the, there are people who know it so much better than we do. And in fact, I'm certain that there are you know the people out there right now who certainly know Star Wars: The High Republic better than I do. I mean, you know, this whole project. I can't wait for this. But here's the thing. They started developing this in September 2018. Project Luminous officially gets announced in February of 2020. This publishing effort with the idea that it's set 200 years before the events of Phantom Menace. And it's the time when the Jedi Order is at the height of its abilities. And phase one of a three-part story it was supposed to get underway in August of of 2020, but of course the pandemic yeah. delayed that and it doesn't get started till January 2001. So phase one is the light of the Jedi and it literally just wrapped. Phase two of this publishing effort, Quest of the Jedi, uh, gets underway in the fall of 2022 and supposedly right now they're already hard at work on the third and final phase of High Republic and that's going to be called Trials of the Jedi. Well, do we have a release on the first ones yet? I mean... They began... Uh, it's a series, right? It's going to be on Disney Plus? But it's not just... Uh, it's comic books. It's it's novels oh, for adults. It's, oh, I see what's going on. Okay. Yeah. You basically zeroed in on, on what they were looking to do. The idea was to create this new part of the story with the hope that then Lucasfilm could then use uh, this as the jumping off for a new set of films. And... We got the first of these projects announced back in December of 2020 during a Disney Investor Day. Uh, it was called Star Wars Acolyte. This one, and in fact, it's so funny, you were doing your Agatha Christie bit a moment ago. Because <laughs> it's like, they describe the Acolyte as a mystery thriller that will take us into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. The whole notion was that this story would end 50 years before the events of Phantom Menace. Do you know if George has, um, did George have a background or where the Jedi started and stuff? Did he have anything when he was doing his trilogies and, and pre prequels? I, I mean, is this based on anything George has or this is this all from New Cloth? I want to say this is New Cloth. In the Journal of the Will, there are whiffs and suggestions and threads of this sort of thing. But, you know, when Project Luminous got together, they got some of the very best writers who were working, uh, you know, on the, okay. you know, the books for, you know, the young adult books, the, the adult books, the comic books, and, and brought them all together in a, room, in a room. And the whole notion was, okay, what, if we were looking to do something new and, and, and stepping and making a deliberate choice to step away from the Star Wars, uh, me, well, the Skywalker saga. It's a no-brainer because look what's happening with Lord of the Rings and uh, Games of Thrones. They're mm -hmm. they're all doing this. They're mm -hmm. all doing shows that are 200, 500,000 years in the future, like mm -hmm. the beginning, like what, what's um, Lord of the Rings Age Two mm -hmm. or Second Age. And so this is this is a great idea, and because it starts, uh, and you don't have to rely. On what's been going on, you can, like I said, new cloth, and you can, wow. That is exactly what's going on with the Lord of the Rings and, and that sort of thing. But kind of the famous story about working on the original version of 
a Star Wars land for the parks, how it was going to be Tatooine, and you were going to go to the cantina, and all of that, and they spent a year plus developing that, and they brought it to Iger, and Iger had a conversation with Kathleen Kennedy, and Kathleen basically persuaded him, it's like, look, we can't be trying to just please the Star Wars fans who are Jim and Brian's age. You know, we, we need to be going after new Star Wars fans, and the future of the franchise is in the new stories. So that was why let's build Batu. Let's build a Black Spire Outpost, a place we haven't been to before that's familiar yet different. Yeah, that made sense, but it didn't make sense because the original Star Wars was still there, and the kids still buy Darth Vader, uh, even though they know he's Anakin, they still buy Darth Vader T-shirts and, and toys and stuff like that. So I don't think that, I, I don't think, if they're making it for that generation, for the new generation, ooh, Ray and stuff like that, mm-hmm. those people still, the, those characters are still not as iconic as the original trilogy and even the prequels. I mean, right now, Anakin is one of the the hottest things, and we should get a, a you know now that he's that um, he's back in the fold. There mm. should be an an Anakin miniseries or a movie or something like that. Quite seriously, if you think about how popular the Mandalorian or the Book of Boba Fett, or yeah. for that matter, the recently wrapped Obi Wan Kenobi series, which which clearly are there in that sweet spot, either just after. Return of the Jedi or, or right before the end of Revenge of the Sith for a company that was trying to be invested in the future. There is a, an awful lot of looking back at the past and mining that now. And according to Star Wars lore, an acolyte is someone who trains under an experienced Sith Lord. So it's the, the oh. dark side equivalent of a Jedi Padawan. By the way, it's uh, Leslie Headland, the co-creator of Russian, Russian Doll, Doll yeah. is putting the show together. And just this past weekend, they confirmed that Amandla Sternberg is cast in an, a yet-to-be-named role on the show. So they're starting to cast up for this thing. But Star Wars shows are, even with the volume, you know, that, that wonderful production right, filming in the volume that, that cuts down on, on cost and also... I mean, you can shoot it. You can shoot nighttime in the daytime. It it is it's a wonderful piece of technology, but shooting a Star Wars series is still really pricey. Did you see th- what the trades reported just this past week about Skeleton Crew? The- yeah, I heard that. It's uh, that blows my mind because mm-hmm. I didn't think that the. Do you think it's all below the line, or are we going to see more actors and actresses? that are above the line, and that's where the budget's coming from. Because I know Jude Law's probably getting a big payday, but if you have this kind of budget, it can't be all below the line. What Brian's referring to here is the trades are reporting that Star Wars Skeleton Crew has a budget of $136 million, and 20 of that is coming from California tax credits. Gavin Newsom kind of has made a big deal Finally about... he did something like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, just so much runaway production. In fact, I, I have to tell you that for years, films were coming out here to New England, especially Massachusetts. Massachusetts and also Alabama, uh, wait, Atlanta, they have yeah, a big... Yeah, Georgia. They, they, yeah. They, yeah, yeah. State of California ponied up $20.9 million in Golden State tax incentives to, to keep that production. So it's going to be filmed in California then? It's filming now in California. Now, do they consider if you film in the volume, do that? Yeah, that's considered filming in California too, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, as long as it's in a soundstage that's inside the borders of the Golden State, they're happy. <laughs> what you mentioned about Jude Law's got to have gotten a nice payday. Uh, in fact, uh, Liam Neeson, for his relatively short cameo, in the tail end of Obi-Wan Kenobi, supposedly got a nice pay. But what's kind of interesting is that they got him to commit to doing a couple of Qui-Gon things. Uh, oh, thing. cool. Yeah. In fact, there is a new animated series in the work called Star Wars Tales of the Jedi that Neeson is doing Qui-Gon's voice for. But what's kind of interesting is that his son, Michael Richardson, uh, uh, Michael 
takes his name, of course, from... From his mother, uh, Miranda. Yeah, who we lost back in March of 2009. Oh, Natasha, not, not Miranda, Natasha. That's okay. Sorry okay. about that. <laughs> That's all right. But yeah, he's going to be voicing a younger version of Qui-Gon. And, but again, the, the funniest part of this is back in 2019, Liam was approached about, well, would you do Qui-Gon again? And he's like, yeah, I think so. Maybe uh, if it were a film. I yeah. mean, I, I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to television, I have to admit. I just like the big screen. And it was like, if we pile up enough money, will you come do a TV show? Or more to the point, if we tell you how much we're spending on the TV show, will you, you come do it? And evidently, when they had that conversation about how much they were spending on Obi-Wan Kenobi, he's like, okay, I'm in. That sounds like an A-list project, so let's do this. Do you know how many episodes Skeleton Crew is going to be? Is it going to be still the six episodes? Because I there's something that's coming out that's going to be 18 episodes. Yes, that is Daredevil Reborn, okay. Okay. I want to say. Yeah, a lot of people were kind of shocked by that but at the same time, supposedly, you had to convince Vincent DeFario and I'm blank. Charlie Cox is that yeah. the name of the. You know, yes. you got to remember that these were the two guys who labored on three seasons of Daredevil over at Netflix, and you know, hey, we're getting the band back together again, and it's like, well, I would like <laughs> a little job security, so. <laughs> You know, how, exactly how many episodes are we talking here? Because, yes, it's nice, you know, a Vincent DeFario. Yeah, it's nice to come back and do an episode of Hawkeye. But, you know, if I'm really coming back to work here, I'd like this to be of size. So that's supposedly what's on the table there. Well, the the Netflix series, they had 13 episodes. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was still, it was... Well, that's what that's what the the Netflix and Amazon they were between ten and thirteen, mm -hmm. but then all of a sudden Marvel decided to do the six on on there, and I I still don't understand why that is a thing. Well, now remember, okay, uh, WandaVision had was nine, nine but there right. were only some of them were half hour, and the same thing like She Hulk is going to be how many? There's going to be like twelve or something. But they're only going to be half-hour episodes. If you talk with the folks at Marvel Studios, this is a legal comedy. And we've been taught from all of our decades of t television watching is like, situation comedy is a half-hour long. You want to do your 22 minutes and you're out. Star Wars is also experimenting with the form. If you look at the episodes of Obi-Wan or Book of Boba Fett or, or that, you know, Mandalorian, a lot of them are... 40, 44 minutes, you know, yeah. they, they don't run all that long. But do you think something like Kenobi could have benefited from being 10 episodes? Because there was a lot of ground you could have covered. The, a, a lot of people felt that it was too short. Uh, I mean, The Mandalorian works for me because each episode is a separate episode. Mm -hmm. And Boba Fett was the same thing. It was almost like two series. It was almost like... You had three episodes of Boba Fett, and then you had three episodes of Mandalorian Point Two, and it just seemed it it, it kind of worked. But there was more like the last battle could have lasted three episodes, and we would have been fine. You could have made a whole seven samurai there in the movie. Of course, there was the lull where Tirshumu Funi goes out and steals the gun and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You could have you could have built up to the big thing but remember there's the old show business adage that you always leave them, them wanting, wanting more, more. Yeah, and yeah. one of the greatest skills in show business is knowing when to get off the stage and and speaking of knowing when to of get getting off, off the stage i was gonna say that it's i think it's time for we're these are i hope people aren't um getting bored of these being so long but we just get on a roll and we just tend to go off script quite a lot. <laughs> but like I said, I am so grateful for Brian making time today after covering oh, Comic-Con. Yeah. It's so hard to describe the feeling after Comic-Con because you've been going flat out for four days. So it's this combination of bone weariness and then that moment when the adrenaline that you've been running on yep. runs out and you are 
days recovering from this, especially when you, you're a guy in your 60s like myself or Brian. <laughs> so so we're, we're going to stop here so Brian and I can go well, catch it's always, a nap. It's always better. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready for my nap. But it's always better for me because mm-hmm. I only have a two-hour drive. Yep. And as long as I have a lot of Mountain Dew in my car, I'm fine. Seriously, if you're enjoying the stories that Brian's uh, been telling today, you should definitely follow him on social media. So, so you can can you tell us where uh, folks can find you, Brian? Yeah, I'm on um, Geek with Children. It's C H I L D R N, and I'll be. I wanted to wait till I talk to you, and I'll be putting up um, some Star Wars things Ooh. that I I went around and took pictures of um, on on Twitter um, starting today. Cannot but, wait. Yeah. Holy cow. I look forward to seeing those. Now, I and we were just talking about Drew, of course. That's Drew Taylor, uh, who, who do, I do fine-tuning with. Likewise, uh, we also have Marvel Us Disney. And as you mentioned, lots of Marvelous new, uh, Marvel-related news coming out of Comic-Con, which uh, Aaron Adams and I will be talking about later this week. And then, of course, we have The Mothership, Disney Dish, that I do with Len Testa. And he and I will be recording a brand-new show this week as well. Anyway, if you could do Brian and I a favor, if you get over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show, that would be helpful. Thanks for listening, folks. And we will be back with a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm in two weeks.